0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks of God. If you give us your full attention. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has to complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, should also you forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which, indeed, you are called in one body, and to be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we come to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, St. Paul has just previously laid out for us what it doesn't mean for us to be a Christian. If you were to ask yourself, Saints, uh, what doesn't it mean to live in Christ? Just look at that list that St. Paul provides to us in verses 1 through 12. Here, or rather in verses 1 through 12, saints of God. He lists a list of sins that would identify not one who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but but one who is still enslaved to their sin. And as St. Paul is writing this letter, he's urging his hearers, just as he is urging you, just as Christ, as I was studying this, urged me, this simple truth, since you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then simply put, act like Him. That's the basic basic moral theology of the Christian faith. If you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then act like Him. Talk like Him. Walk like Him. How do we do that then? I mean, isn't that the, the question that's always on the Christian's mind? How do then I walk like, act like, talk like Jesus Christ? Thank the Lord that they give us the answer. Put on a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Who has, whoever has to complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you must also do also, you must do also, in addition to all these things, put on love. Put on love. This, Saints of God, is a beautiful list, is it not? If there's anything that we as Christians should aspire to look like it should be a Christian of Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through seventeen. we are to aim to be a Colossians chapter 3 verse 7, no, 12 through seventeen type of Christian. but saints of God, if we were honest with ourselves and let's let's today be honest with ourselves. if we were honest with ourselves, the Christian life, it isn't what we thought it would be if we were just honest with the christian life and 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 how it is you have to admit that it it's not what we initially thought it would be and what i mean by church is this is that at times it seems like it's easier to act like what it doesn't mean to be a christian then what it means to be a Christian. Again, it seems at times that it's actually easier to be a Christian that is practicing envy and malice and unforgiveness and hatred than it is to be a Christian practicing compassion, patience, forgiveness and love. Saints of God, don't let me be the only one here on this island alone. Have you felt that? Have you noticed that in your Christian life? That before you were saved, it was much easier to sin than it is now that you are a saint to be holy and to be Christ-like? Pastor Antonio, one of his great sermons, asked this question. He, He says, if this is the road to eternal life, If the Christian life is the life that leads to everlasting happiness, then why is it so hard? Why is the Christian life so hard? Saints of God, the answer is because Jesus Christ carried a cross. And you better believe that if Christ carried a cross, you got to carry a cross. This is the life of sanctification, saints of God. This is the life of not only believing in Jesus, that's great, praise God. But, but what, but what distinguishes true Christians is one acting like Jesus. You know some theology, that's well. But do you act the, do you live out, do you act out the theology, theology that you know? So the question I have for you this afternoon is simply this. This is the question that the Lord brought upon my heart. This is the question that that exposed me as I was preparing this sermon. It's simply this, congregation. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? That's the question. And I already assumed the answer. I know what you're going to say. Of course I want to be like Jesus. Of course, pastor. Who wouldn't want to be like Jesus? Now here's my follow-up. Question to that then. Hear me now. Then how much? How much? Everyone in the NBA wants to win a championship. Everyone in the NFL wants to win a championship. How bad do you want to win? How How much, congregation, saints of God, hear me. How much do you want to be like Jesus Christ? I said in my sermon two weeks ago, Use an example of a Dominican friar who puts on his, this new habit. It's a long robe where it signifies their new way of life. It signifies that they are dead to the old and alive to the new. And every morning that friar goes into his closet and as he looks at his old clothes and as he looks at his new habit of, of that robe, he has to make a decision to put on his old way of life. Or to put on his new way of life. I liken that to killing sin. <laughs> that killing sin is a conscious decision that you must make every single day. The very moment you wake up, you have to make a decision to either be a slave to sin or kill sin. Well, saints of God, the same could be said about walking like Jesus Christ. The same could be said about living like Jesus Christ. Walking like Jesus Christ, if you don't know Christian, is not reserved only when you're around Christian folk. That's not when you walk around acting like Jesus. Being a Christian is not reserved only when you're in church. In fact, being a Christian, saints of God, is not reserved when you're in Bible study, prayer meeting, any of those things. But walking the way Jesus walked is a conscious decision that we must make in every single second of our lives. Every single second of our lives, saints of God, we must make a decision to be like Jesus Christ. And as we look at this list that St. Paul provides to us in verses 12 through 17, we could dissect each of these virtues, I suppose. But there is one virtue. There is one thing. In the list of all of what St. Paul tells us of what it looks like to be a Christian that I want you to and I want us to consider this afternoon. And that is the virtue of forgiveness. The virtue of forgiveness. In fact, out of all the Christ-like traits that St. Paul gives to us in verses 12 through 17, he, he actually adds an additional commentary when he talks about forgiveness. Forgiveness. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. You know, there's some verses in the Bible that you just, you pray to, you, you're you thankful that it was there. And then there's some verses in the Bible you say to yourself, dang it, I wish that wasn't there. This is one of those verses. Because it's so hard is it not now church this sermon on forgiveness it's it ain't one of those sermons where you say to yourself okay i'm going to listen to this man preach for as long as he preaches and as soon as he's done i'm going to send this sermon to the first person to the second person and the third person that have offended me in my life uh, we, we don't approach the sermon especially a sermon on forgiveness this way but rather In the midst of this sermon, we got to work on ourselves. we got to work on ourselves. Because, saints, you might say, out of all these things, why list or why talk about forgiveness? We can talk about love, patience. We can talk about all these other things. Why talk about forgiveness? Simply put, saints, because life is coming. The offense is coming. The the sorrow is coming. The, The disrespect is coming. For some of us, and I know well, the offense has already come. For for some of us, the disrespect has already arrived. For some of us, it might have come from the person that we have least expected it to come from, our own family. For some of us, it's come from our own friends. For some of us, it's come from our own co-workers. or, Or worst of all, the offense and the disrespect and the hurt have come from church people. Have come from church people. You know, saints of God, have you ever been offended by church people? By church people? I mean, the offense coming from people whom we share blood with is hard enough. <laughs> the, 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 the offense coming from the one whom we are closest with is hard enough. But, but when it comes to church folk... When the offense comes from people whom we have sung hymns with. The people whom we have prayed together with. The same people who, who we say amen to the same sermon with. Like those people who are supposed to be Christians. Saints of God, we need to know. We need to ready ourselves. And we need to be reminded of the great virtue of forgiveness. That is why we need to hear a sermon like this. Forgiveness Church is one of the godliest virtues that we can exercise. It was Nelson Mandela who once said, when you attend to forgive, you heal part of the pain. But when you actually forgive, you heal all of the pain. One doctor, in treating PTSD, he said, he said he's often found that forgiveness is the final step in the process of healing. He said that forgiveness is both necessary to one's mental and physical health. Saints of God, even science, as well as history, echo the words of Scripture. That practicing forgiveness is vital to the Christian life. Christian forgiveness is not something that's optional. Although forgiveness may take some time. It's not optional. But forgiveness is something that given one year, two year, three year, you're going to have to do. You're going to have to exercise at some point. But I would admit, congregation, that forgiveness is also strange, is it not? It's very weird. You see, because forgiveness... Forgiveness is a beautiful word when someone has to give it to you. But forgiveness is an ugly word when you got to give it to someone else. It's a beautiful word when we know that someone is going to say, I'm sorry, but oh, we hate it. We, 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 actually, we actually might wait to the very last second to say we're sorry to someone else. We'll pick up the phone on the first call, will we not? When we know that that person who offended us is calling to say he's sorry. But we'll stare at that same phone all day when we are the ones that got to pick up the phone and say we're sorry. Why is it the case, congregation? Why are we like that? Because you're prideful. Because we're not as humble as we think we are. Because at times we're not as Christian-like as we think we are. Because we let pain and sorrow, we let hurt, we let the offense live in our minds longer than it should. Because we can justify for being mad for a long period of time. Have you ever, have you ever been there? Justifying being lo- being mad for years and years and years. So then let's get to the... Answer, what does biblical forgiveness look like? We, we can, we can look at, you know, we can peruse the, all of the Word of God and see, for, the Word of God says forgiveness is this and forgiveness is this, but that's just boring. Let's look at forgiveness in action. Let's see what forgiveness actually looks like. And to do that, let's just quickly examine one of our greatest spiritual masters of the faith. Joseph. Joseph. If there's anything you know about Joseph, you know two things. Number one, he was highly favored by his father. And number two, oh, his brothers hated him. Joseph, just to give you just a quick, quick rundown, I recommend Pastor Antonio's sermons that he did on the life of Joseph. A quick summary, Joseph is favored by his father. As you know, his father gives him this coat. I wish I knew what that coat looked like, but he gives him this coat. And then on one day, Jacob, Joseph's father, tells Joseph, go outside and check on your brothers. Their brothers are outside working, doing what they do in the field. And, and, And it's strange to me, Pastor Antonio, out of all the virtue and all the wisdom that Joseph has, why would he go out and check on his brothers wearing that coat? But he goes out there. Wears this, I think of the most, you know, probably had a coat that looked like Ric Flair's. Some sort of beautiful coat, right? Goes out there and the brothers lose it. They say, no, we're not going to have this. Not today. What do they do? They throw Joseph in the pit. They take his coat. They dip blood on it. They convince his father, father Jacob, that Joseph was killed. And they say we should kill him, but no, rather, let's make some money off of him. So they sell Joseph into slavery. The next scene, Joseph is there. And uh, just to jump forward a little bit, he's in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife has an eye for Joseph. Joseph chooses virtue over Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife goes back and says that Joseph tried to do something to me that he shouldn't have. What happens next? Joseph's in prison for more than 20 years. 20 years Joseph's in prison. Imagine you in jail for 20 years for a crime you didn't commit. But more so, imagine being in a place where the origins of where you're at... Comes from your brothers. Imagine what Joseph is feeling. Imagine him plotting. Um, Imagine him thinking that when I get out of here, I am going to kill every single one of those ten brothers, save Benjamin. Every one of them. Of course Joseph doesn't think that. Because I think that. In my sick, twisted mind of wanting vengeance, I would think something like that. But twenty years has passed. He gets out of prison, and here's where the story starts to get really, really, really interesting. Because of Joseph 's ability to interpret dreams fast forward, he is now the second, most powerful man in all of the world second in command to Pharaoh. And so what happens next is where things start to get real juicy. There's a famine in the land. Jacob tells Joseph's brothers, hey, can you go down to Egypt and get some food for us? No problem, Pop. We'll go down there. And guess who they got to deal with when they get to Egypt? Guess who Joseph's brothers have to go through in order to provide for themselves the same one who they threw in the pit, the same one who they hated, the same one who they envied. The brothers come back, go to Egypt, and Joseph is there waiting for them. Saints of God, this is the first lesson that we learn in forgiveness. Is that you cannot be thinking about that one person who has offended you for years? That it can go maybe a whole decade of you not even hearing of that person's name, not even thinking of the offense. You might have even removed that person from your mind and haven't thought of that person in so long. But on a nice day you hear. That they're invited to the party. That, that, that you might not be thinking about them for so long, but then you hear that they're around the corner. Then, then you bump into them. Then you see them. Here's the lesson on forgiveness church. Just like in Joseph's case with his brothers, the Lord sometimes brings the offense back into your life. That, that sometimes The Lord will bring the people who have offended us back around. Sometimes, the ones who hurt us, the one who pained us, we will see them again. And we got to deal with it again. And the Lord does so for what reason, though? Why does he do so? Why does the Lord bring back people into our lives? who we haven't thought about in years. Well, saints of God, it's not for us to get our get back. Remove that first from your minds. It's not for you to get off on them. It's It's not for you, saints of God, to tell that person all the things that you have rehearsed in your mind that you would tell them the moment you saw them. That's not why the Lord brings them back around. But rather, saints of God, the Lord brings these people back around for you to see where you're at in the Christian faith. To see how much you have matured since the offense took place. To to see how Christ-like you are. How much theology are you living out in the Christian life? Simply put, to see how much like Jesus... We have become as we come to Genesis chapter 45. Joseph's about to reveal who he is to his brothers. You see, his brothers didn't even know who he was. His brothers couldn't recognize him up to chapter 45. They, they had no idea. But in chapter 45, Joseph reveals to his brothers. And he he says in verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself in front of everyone standing before him and shouted, have everyone leave the room. So there was only one with him. Or rather, there was no one with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. It's just Joseph and his brothers. Saints of God, here is the second lesson that we learn. Or rather, there's two lessons we learn in forgiveness as, as we see this great reveal to Joseph and his brothers. The first is simply this. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is a choice that we must make. You see, up to chapter 45, Joseph, he didn't have to say anything to his brothers. He did not have to reveal himself to his brothers. His brothers didn't know who he was. He didn't have to say anything. He could have left everything alone. But Joseph made a choice to forgive. Just as Joseph has been doing his whole entire life, Joseph chose virtue. Joseph chose to put on Christ. Practicing forgiveness, saints of God, is a decision that we must make is a decision where we we take the words of our Savior in Matthew 5 to heart. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Essentially, saints, to choose to forgive is to choose to love. To choose to forgive is to choose to love. Now don't get me wrong, congregation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you are approving, that you are justifying the wrong against you. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is not saying that you were hurt when the offense took place. But when you choose to forgive, you are making a conscious decision to choose love over vengeance. That's what you're doing. You are making a conscious decision to choose compassion and humility over pride. To to choose grace and mercy over revenge. In essence, forgiveness tells the person whom we have offended, I could, but I won't. I should, but I'm saved. That's what forgiveness preaches to those who have offended us. That's what you're saying when you practice forgiveness. Because, church, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? The alternative is the darkness of unforgiveness. The alternative is the darkness of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is dangerous, saints. Dangerous. And don't get me wrong, unforgiveness doesn't kill you, but it simply imprisons you. Uh, Unforgiveness makes you feel trapped in your own world and, and unforgiveness is interesting because, because it traps you in while you see the beauty on outside. It traps you while everyone is still smiling. It traps you while everyone is still having a good time. Uh, Unforgiveness doesn't torture us by locking us in a room Throwing away the key and no windows. No, no. When we are in a state of unforgiveness, saints of God, everyone outside is smiling while we on the inside are miserable. And I thought about this, Pastor Antonio, as I was re-listening to your sermons on Joseph, I thought to myself, I thought to myself, well, why did Joseph take so long? to reveal who he was to his brothers. Why did he take so long? I mean, there's, there's chapters that go by where Joseph is interacting with them. He sees them. They see him. Why does he take so long? There's many answers we can give. Many answers. But if we know anything about forgiveness, saints of God, we know that to offer forgiveness, it sometimes takes some time. If we know anything about forgiveness, we know that sometimes it just takes some time. It takes some time. I think about Joseph. I think about that moment when he saw his brothers. Think about this, saints of God. The second most powerful man in the whole world has everything at his disposal. I don't know. Maybe when the first time he saw his brothers, he felt 17 again. Maybe when he saw his brothers, the most powerful man in the world felt weak. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe up to this point, before he saw them, he might have put what they did and who they are in the back of his mind. But when he saw them, when he saw them, I'm sure he felt a pain that he hasn't felt since he was 17. I'm sure when he saw them, he can probably feel again each one of their hands throwing him into the pits. I'm sure, saints of God, when he saw his brothers, he felt them ripping off that coat that his father gave to him. I'm sure what Joseph felt at 17, the hatred, the jealousy, the, the envy... He felt again when he saw his brothers for the first time. Everything started to come back to him. And God, once again, God, once again, had to work on him. God had to work on him. That's what unforgiveness does, congregation. Unforgiveness makes us imprisoned. By replaying in our minds who did us wrong and how they did us wrong. That's what unforgiveness does. It just loops over and over the offense. This is why, church, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice that you must make. And let me tell you, saints of God, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the Father within you. And you have the Blessed Son in you. You can make the choice to forgive. You do not have to choose unforgiveness. The choice, saints of God, is this. It's going to make it plain for all of us. Be like Jesus and choose forgiveness. Or be like Satan and choose unforgiveness. Which one are you going to choose? Liberate yourself, congregation, if you have some pain in your life right now. Many of you come from churches where you've been hurt. Hurt. You're still crying at night. You still don't want to open up that door. Hurt. I'm here to tell you, the saints of God today, free yourself. Free yourself from pain. Free yourself from sorrow. Free yourself from the bondage that what their offense did to you. Or, saints of God, you stay shackled. Or you stay in your handcuffs. Or or you stay in the bondage of sorrow and unforgiveness. But let's get back to the story. What choice would Joseph make, though? What choice would Joseph make? Again, verse 1. Joseph could not control himself. Tells everyone to get out. It's just him and his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard about it. Here's the the next lesson we learn in Forgiveness, Saints of God, is that it's this. If you're asleep, wake up now, because you need to hear this. Trust me, you need to hear this. Practicing forgiveness is a private affair. Practicing forgiveness is a private affair. Notice. Joseph says everyone leave the room. He don't want the guards to hear. He don't want Pharaoh to know. He don't want no one in Egypt to know. Everyone leaves the room. And it's just Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is saying, we're going to handle this like men. We're going to handle this the way in which we ought to handle this. Joseph commands everyone to leave the room. He talks to his brother, saints of God. When someone has offended you, do not make it a public matter. When someone has offended you, do not make it a public affair. When someone has offended you, it is not your job to tweet about it, subtweet about it, Facebook post about it, Instagram it, blog it. And even for some of us, I'm a to nuance this, but even for some of us, tell our family and friends about it because that will get you in trouble too. Now, don't get me wrong. Here's a nuance. There are ways you can tell your offense to someone who's of wisdom. Someone you need counsel on. Hey, brother, how how should I handle this situation here? How how should I go about this? But what you don't want to do is when you're hurt, go to someone, and the first words you say to them is, girl, you will not believe. You will not believe what sister so-and-so said to me last Sunday. Your first words better not be, brother, you, are, where are you at? Are you, are you seated? Because you, if, if you're driving, call me back because this might get you into a wreck after I tell you what brother so-and-so just told me. Oh, we don't do that. And if someone does that, saints of God, you better close your ears quickly. You better run away quickly. You don't tell others about your offense in attempt for them to be mad at the same person that you're mad at. You don't do that. That's not biblical. That's not Christian. That's not what being like Christ is. Telling others how you feel so that you can have now a a team around you who feel the same way. So that maybe they can add to your fire and say, well, you know, uh, you know, you know, he, he's actually done something to me too. No, we don't do that, saints. That's not what we do. If someone offends you, church, listen to me, please. If someone offends you, don't degrade their name. In front of other people. Don't degrade their name in front of other people. Don't get personal. Don't get personal. And don't let anyone tell you about another Christian and it's personal. You protect your brother and sister in Christ. You protect your deacon in Christ. You protect your pastor, your elder. You protect their name. It's just a Christian thing to do. It's just a Christian thing to do. That's what it is, saints of God. Don't drag the one who made the offense. Don't drag them through the mud. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, when you're hurt by someone, do whatever you got to do to shame the one whom you hurt. It says that nowhere in the Bible. And if another Christian comes to you, saints, and tells you how another Christian has offended them, I think a wise thing might tell, it's to say to them is, well first and foremost, why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me this? Is it, is it for wisdom? Or is it for chatter? Is it for, for me to help you? Or is it for gossip? If someone comes to you and tells you about an offense of another Christian, be a person of integrity. When the congregation starts to go, conversation starts to go left. When the conversation starts to go left, stand up for righteousness. When it starts to get personal, say, "Well, hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. We're not. We ain't doing that. We ain't doing that today." That's not how Christian folk talk about other Christian folk behind their back. And always end the conversation by praying. Praying for the person who made the offense. Praying for peace. Praying for love. Praying for unity. Praying for closure. I tell you all this because this is what we see in Joseph. Joseph does what we ought to do in practicing forgiveness. He keeps it private. He keeps it private. He keeps it private. He tells everyone to leave and, and what we see next, what we see next is just heartbreaking. What we see next as saints of God is what cut me to the core as I was studying. That everyone leaves the room and then Joseph just loses it. He loses it. All the pain that he has felt, that he's maybe tucked under his couch, all the sorrow that he has had, that he has put in the back of his mind, is now being seen running down his cheeks. Joseph begins to weep. And he weeps so loud that the whole house could hear it. These are tears of pain. These are tears of sorrow. These are tears who have, from a man who has carried a wrong offense for so long and saints of God as Joseph is weeping before his brothers. He says something interesting and so Christian. He says, he says, please come closer to me Mm, for the strength of Joseph. He says, Come closer to me. While they are frightened. Well while, while while they are scared to death, Joseph is drawing them closer with love. He says, Come to me. Oh, I want to put this in a theological, Christological sense, but he says, Come to me. Come to me. Don't be scared. Don't be frightened. Come to me. And as they're coming closer, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. Tears running down his cheek. I'm Joseph. I thought, Pastor, why didn't they recognize him? Like, why didn't they recognize him beforehand? Because they have erased Joseph's memory in their mind. The moment they sold him to the pit, or rather sold him to slavery and threw him in the pit, they threw every single memory, every single thought, every single good time, bad time, every single thing about Joseph into that pit with him. here, saints of God, is another lesson we learn that when we practice forgiveness please hear me tell the one who offended you in practicing forgiveness you tell them tell them when practicing forgiveness tell the one who offended you, you go to that person and you confront them. And when you go to that one who offended you, you tell them how bad they hurt you. It's okay. You tell them how hurt you are. And not in hopes for them to cry. And not in hopes for them to kill themselves. But in hopes of reconciliation. In hopes of unity and peace and love. You tell them, saints of God, I'm telling you, you tell them, because this ain't what Christians do. We say amen, we nod our heads yes, but wait till it's your time. I'm telling you this right now. I've been in church for a long time. I haven't been a Christian for a long time, but I've seen the inner and the outer workings of how Christian folk deal with Christian folk. You go to them when there's an offense, in hopes of reconciliation, not in hopes of a fist fight. It don't gotta be that. It ain't gotta be a debate. It ain't gotta be a war on words. Who's right? Who's wrong? Tell them what happened. And saints of God, this is not about again showing your muscle. The heck with that. This is not about winning an argument. Forget that. This ain't about you being right, he being right, but rather, saints of God, it's about healing. That's what it's about. It's about peace and closure. It's about me not having to think about this thing no more. It's about me not having to 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 wake me up at night, constantly on my mind. That's what it's about. If you ever offended someone, saints, I'd rather, other. Yeah, if you ever offended someone, hear me now, and they come to you and tell you how you have offended them, I'm going to give it to you how my father would tell me. You take it on the chin. You take it on the chin. You eat that punch. That's what you do. If someone tells you, brother and sister, you offended me, you don't justify nothing. You don't explain yourself. You don't try to make yourself part of the pain as well. You don't do any of that stuff. You say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me let me just talk to the man real quick, and we're almost done real quick. Everyone want to talk about biblical manhood. Write books about biblical manhood, conferences on biblical manhood. We need to have those. That's great. That's fine. Attend them. Great. One of the ways you can be a man, man, is by manning up when someone shows you where you're wrong. That's how you can be a man. That's how you can be a man. Manning up when someone tells you you're wrong. You're wrong. And then you shut up. You don't say anything. You don't justify nothing. You keep quiet. You let them work on you. You, you let them dissect what's wrong with you. And at the end you say, brother, I'm so thankful for you. Wife, we're going to talk about husbands and wives next week. Wife, I'm so thankful for you for pointing that out to me. Child, as my son Owen does to me, he comes to me, Daddy, that hurt me. Son, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Being a man is not being prideful. But being a man is saying, I'm sorry for hurting you. With no extra justification. Women, you too. Women, you too. Saying, I'm sorry, with no head movement, with no hair swinging back and forth, with nothing, snapping fingers, any of that stuff. It's just saying, I'm sorry, sister. My apologies. Forgiveness takes confrontation in hopes of peace. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listen to you, you have gained a brother. Now, you might say, now, preacher, I'm just going to go a little bit longer than usual. I'm sorry, saints. You might say, now, preacher, how many times do I extend forgiveness? This is a question that I have asked, right? How, do, how many times do I extend forgiveness, especially to repeated serial offenders? How many times? Peter asked the same thing. How many times, Lord? How many times? You remember what the Lord says, right? You remember what He says? He says, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. You see, the problem with Peter, saints of God, is not, is not that He questioned the Lord. The problem with Peter's question is that He assumes that there's a limit on forgiveness. And let me just get overall biblical, theological with you. The last thing you want is to put a limit on the Father's forgiveness for you. Peter assumes, saints of God, that there's a limit on forgiveness. And saints of God, I ask myself that same question. If you ask yourself that same question, you better thank God that you're not God. If you ask the question, how many times do I got to forgive him?" You better thank the Lord that you're not the Lord. So then Jesus says up to 77 times. But you may say, preacher, but wait a minute. You just don't know how bad they hurt me. You don't know how bad they rocked my soul to my core. You don't know how you don't know the sleepless nights. You don't know the pain that I that I walk with. You don't know what they did to me. And thanks of God, I get all of that. I get all that and I hear what you're saying, but, but, but let me ask you a question. Do you know what you did to God? I know what they did to you, but now let me ask you, do you know what you did to God? And I'm not talking about in the garden. I'm not talking about what you did in Adam. I'm talking about now as a, as a blood bought filled with the Holy Spirit, born again, Christian, do you know what you did to God? And do you know what you do to God? Saints of God, I'm talking about when you sin. When you sin as a Christian, do you know what you're doing to God? When you're choosing to sin, you are spitting on the work of your Savior. You're making a mockery of the work of of Christ on the cross. You are underappreciating the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And each and every time, when you sin, and you go to your Heavenly Father and when you ask for forgiveness, does He tell you, well, hold on, child. Hold on. I don't know about this time. Because this one hurt me. Does your Heavenly Father tell you that? No, He does not tell you that. Your Heavenly Father tells us if we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous. So that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us all from unrighteousness. Church, church, if the Lord can forgive a dirty, repeated sin offender, committer, if the Lord can forgive our sinful self time and time again, then who are we to put a limit on forgiveness? Saints of God. St. Paul tells us, right? You forgive because your father forgave you. Alright. That's what it is, then. That's just what it is. No argument. He he forgave me. Okay, I forgive them. Let me just move on and we're done. How does Joseph in this situation with his brothers end? Joseph calls everyone to leave the room. Tears running down Joseph's cheeks, tells his brothers to come closer. As they're coming closer, Joseph tells them that he's their brother, the one whom they slow, uh, sold into slavery. And church, imagine—can you imagine just for a second—the the shock on their faces when Joseph told them, "I'm your brother." Jaws are are to the floor right now. If they're if you're Joseph's brothers, their stomachs—they they might have turned in in a way that they have never turned before. Because the one whom they hated, the one whom they threw in the pit, the one whom they sold into slavery, the one whom they lied about to their father and said that he was dead, is now the second most powerful man in all of the world. Saints of God, if you were them, what would you say? This is what I would say. I'm in trouble. Joseph is about to get me. I'm dead. I'm doomed. I'm every sort of negative thing you can find in the dictionary. I'm that. And as fear begins to cover their whole soul, this, Pastor Antonio, this, this is what, this is what made me shake my head while I was studying. This is it right here. They're frightened, they're scared. And then he says, but do not be grieved." And do not be angry with yourselves. For God sent me here to save you. Oh, it's, oh it still gives me chills. <laughs> oh, if there's a, any other, I mean This is like top ten scenes in the Word of God I wish I was there to see. Don't be angry. Don't be frightened. Don't be mad. For God sent me here. Oh, church, this is an answer from a man who chose love over violence. This is an answer coming from a man who chose peace over vengeance, who who chose to forgive over holding a grudge. Joseph says here, I'm the one whom you sold into slavery, but don't be angry for God. Some of you still haven't woken up yet. Let me let me give you my own 2023 interpretation of what Joseph said. Joseph, when he tells his brother this, essentially, Joseph is telling his brothers, I'm the one whom you threw in the pit, but God. I, I, I'm the one whom you sold into slavery. Hear me now, church, I'm almost done. But God. I'm the one Who was highly favored from my father. And that you told my father that I was dead. But God. I'm the one who had those dreams. Like my father Jacob had dreams. And when I had those dreams. And told you about those dreams. You killed the dreamer. But God. I should kill you. But God. I I should make your life a living hell. But God, I should do to you worse than what you did to me. But God, saints of God, this is the perspective that we ought to have toward those who have offended us. Oh, you hurt me real bad, you know that. But God, there was was a lot of sleepless nights. But God. I had to walk with this pain in my side because of what you did for so long, but now, but God. Oh, there were days when I wanted to physically harm you. But God. I had in my mind all the filthy and nasty and every single curse word that I could think of to say to you when I finally saw you, but God. But God, congregation. But God. But God, over 2,000 years ago, He showed me on a cross that there is not a sin too big that forgiveness cannot cover. That but God, over 2,000 years ago, showed me that even those who killed Jesus are still candidates for forgiveness. But God, congregation showed me that over 2,000 years ago, even those who turned their back on Jesus, those who mocked Jesus, those who said, I don't know the man, not once, not twice, but three times, can still be embraced by God's arms of forgiveness. We can forgive now, church. Hear me now. Because over 2,000 years ago, the Father was forgiving me in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we can forgive. him. I can forgive you now. Because over 2,000 years ago, high on a hill, lifted for the whole world to see, the Son was taking my punishment. And the Son was taking my forgiveness. And those who are joined to Him can practice the same forgiveness. I know what forgiveness is. Offender, because my Jesus, my Jesus showed me. I can, I can practice forgiveness because the Father first practiced forgiveness on me. He forgave me and I can forgive you. Tell your offenders, church, I forgive you. Tell the ones who wronged you, I forgive you. Tell them right now, virtually in your mind, when I see them, I'm going to forgive them. I forgive you, and if you ask, or rather, and if they ask, saints, if they ask, but why do you forgive me after all the pain that I put you through? Why do you forgive me? You tell them, congregation, I forgive you because somewhere I read that there was a man who was a dreamer, there was a man who was thrown in the pit by his brothers, man who was sold into slavery, and then when he saw his brothers. He says, do not be grieved and angry with yourselves. For God sent me here to save your lives. Let me give you one better. Tell them that somewhere I read, as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen looks to the heavens, and he says to God, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I got one even better. Tell them somewhere I read that on the cross uh, he was bloody, hanging. Christ's first words, not his last, not his second, not his third. Christ's first words were Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. In me I am now in that long lineage of Christ like men. Christ-like women who, in the midst of their offenders, can say, I forgive you. I choose to be this way. I choose to be this way. Young people, I told you, this ain't just for old people. They're going to get you at school, too. Your offense is coming. Your disrespect is coming. Trust me. Trust me. Make a choice to forgive. But God, church, doesn't mean that God is stopping me from doing something I shouldn't. But God doesn't mean that God is restraining me from saying something I shouldn't. But what God means simply is that God has changed me. God has changed me. It means that I recognize that I too have offended someone. That you ain't the only one that has offended someone in your life. But I too offend someone. And at times in my life, I continue to offend that same one. But God is so good. God is so faithful that every time I fall, grace and mercy reminds me that if I repent, God promises to His people, I will be merciful to their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. Saints of God, practice forgiveness. Make the choice to forgive. And watch. And watch, congregation. Watch all the pain. Watch all the hurt. Watch all the sorrow be removed from your lives. Be like Christ. Let's pray.